Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some things that happen in life that are so profound that you measure time by them. Things were one way before, but then something happens and you're never the same again. Life is different. Life has fundamentally changed for you. And we all have significant moments like this in our lives. Now, maybe for you, it's a, a graduation. You've completed your studies. You're no longer that high schooler or that college student. Or maybe you're even leaving home for the first time for whatever your next step in life is, be it a job or more education. But life is different now. Maybe for you, judging by our audience here today, maybe it was the birth of your first child, right? It's something so profound that life is different. You measure time by it. There was life before the kids and life after, and those are two very different things. But some things in life are so profound that we measure time by them. In our generation, we might always measure time uh, by B.C. and A.C., before COVID and after COVID. Right? Life changed significantly for us this past year. And as I stand here today and think back on this past year, well, actually, when I stand here, I think, man, this year really flew by. You know, it doesn't really feel all that different from other years. Unless I slow down and really think about it. If I put myself back into the pandemic last year, oh, it didn't fly by. Well, time seemed to crawl. But this is what happens, right? We, we misremember the past sometimes. It's hard to keep our, our histories straight. But it's important to remember our histories, to be mindful of everything that has passed, both good and bad, so that we don't take for granted where we are today. As someone once said, you can't really know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to take a look at the past uh, even as we begin to chart our future together. Because you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. And that really is the key to reading these first couple chapters uh, from Ezra. Now, we're in our new sermon series, uh, uh, Rubble Restoration, Building God's Way. Uh, a series where we're going to take a look at how God rebuilt his people, the Israelites, after the exile even as we look at what he's building in our midst today. And in our text today from Ezra, God is building hope. He's building up hope. This is a, a text, a couple chapters, just brimming with excitement. I mean, it's an emotional roller coaster. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, did, <laughs> did we hear the same reading uh, this morning? Wasn't it just like some guy, Cyrus, who made a proclamation 
and some travel preparations and then a bunch of people's names that were hard to pronounce. Yeah, it was that. And if you actually did your homework, if you read all of chapter one and chapter two, you had a lot more names uh, to slog through. What's so exciting about that? You don't even know how to read yet. And when you get to read, you're going to read these genealogies, these lists of names. You're going to be like, what? why is this even in here? But you have to know where the Israelites have been and what they've been through to understand the excitement of where they're going. The Israelites have been in exile for 70 years. They were prisoners of war, POWs, living in the land of Babylon. Some of them likely carried the trauma of what they saw as little kids with them. The horror of seeing their city literally burned to the ground. Witnessing neighbors and family members massacred by their ruthless captors. They would have taken in the sight of, of their temple, the place where they worshipped Yahweh, being robbed of all its beauty, all the, the gold and silver sacred vessels stolen. And then see the entire structure collapse, brought to rubble. Others in the exile, they would have only heard the horror stories. Their whole life was a prison sentence. That's all they knew. And we heard the names of one of those uh, people in our text today. His name was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. We're going to track with him as we continue to read through Ezra. He'll pop up again and again. But Zerubbabel, his name means planted in Babel, Babylon. He was born there. His whole life had been a prison sentence, like a seed stuffed into the ground. He was trapped, stuck, closed in until today. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of Yahweh might be fulfilled through the mouth of Jeremiah, Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus so that he made a proclamation. Freedom, prisoner release, reparations and restoration. All the calamity that had been brought upon the Israelites was being reversed. Those sacred vessels that had been stolen from the temple, they were being returned with the people back to their homeland. Where once foreign armies had, had cut down and killed the people of God, now foreign peoples were stocking them up with gold and silver, goods and beasts for the journey ahead. And the proclamation of the king promised that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. A new life was emerging for Zerubbabel. And the rest of the exiles, like a, like a shoot, vibrant and green, coming out of the death and decay that they had lived in all their lives. And did you catch who was behind all of it? The Lord, the God of heaven. 
He has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, Cyrus said. It was God who had stirred up the heart, the spirit of Cyrus, to make the proclamation. And, and it was even he, the Lord, Yahweh, who had stirred up the people to return home and to rebuild the temple. In the midst of all the destruction, God was working. In the midst of all the difficulty, God was present. He was rebuilding. And God, God was moving the pieces just right so that his people would actually turn and seek him with all their heart, that they would return to him and to the good life that God had, had planned for them, that he envisioned for them in relationship with him, that the people had abandoned long before they ever went into exile. So you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. So where have we been? Where is Saints Peter and Paul heading? Well, God is building up our hopes as well. As a ministry staff, we're really excited about where things are heading and in some of the plans we're making for this coming year. Uh, we've got some cool new things that are going to be put in place, and we're going to be talking about some of those things specifically as we track through this sermon series. But today, I want to look backwards. I want to look where we've been before we talk about where we're going. So let's revisit the year 2020. As much of us, we don't want to. Uh, let's go back to the year of COVID. When the pandemic hit, churches across the country were plagued not only with sickness, but really with fear. There were questions that every church had to answer, these, these fears every church was, was grappling with, and Saints Peter and Paul had to grapple with them too. There were fears about financial security. How is the church going to make ends meet with no people in the pews? At the time, Saints Peter and Paul was right in the middle of a fundraising campaign with the hope to pay off $500,000 of the mortgage by the end of 2020, and there were still 830000 left. There were fears at the time about uh, the spiritual condition of Christians around the world. Was COVID going to cause irreversible damage to people's spiritual life? Were people still going to be fed and nourished by God's word when, when the doors of the church were closed? And there were fears about post-pandemic life. What was that going to be like? What would this disruption to the patterns in our lives of, of regularly coming to church, what would this disruption do to, to people's habits? I mean, in short, would people even come to gather on a Sunday? The pandemic was a hard time. For some of us, it was the hardest season we have ever lived through. And yet God was working in the midst of all of it. 
God was making alive and growing his church in ways that we never would have expected prior to the pandemic. That $830,000 debt, well, the half million wasn't paid off by the end of the year as planned. No, all $830,000 were paid off by June, halfway through the year. That's incredible. Yes, I hear a couple of claps. I just, this is appropriate. We can clap in church. That's, that's incredible. Uh, it was completely paid off by everyone, everyone whose spirit God stirred to contribute to the fund. And I was honored to be here uh, for the mortgage burning ceremony. Actually, it took place right over there under the bells, uh, just outside the church, the same day that I got ordained here. And speaking of that, uh, there was kind of an extra layer of fear for us as seminarians uh, uh, back in St. Louis. We, we wondered if we would even get calls to be pastors in the midst of a pandemic. But God provided for me and for Saints Peter and Paul, bringing us together even in the midst of a pandemic just over a year ago. God was also working in churches throughout the world, uh, getting them to, to kind of move outside the four walls of their church into a territory that many of them had never dared to go, the internet. <laughs> and uh, God stirred up the spirit of churches all over the country and the world to get his presence online. I mean, a place that really could use more and more Jesus. And through our live stream and, and Bible studies, we got connected to people that we wouldn't have otherwise across the country and even the world. And we're so thankful and grateful to all of you worshiping with us online today. It's good to have you uh, be a part of this body. See, God used the pandemic to reach people that we otherwise would not have connected with. And as to the question of people gathering on a Sunday. Just look around you today. Take a second. Spin your head. We're gathered here in one giant unified service. Guys, a year ago, we were separated. We were living in isolation from each other. That was our reality day after day, but not anymore. God has brought us through and he has brought us back together. And we know that God will continue to call more and more people to himself. And we pray that he would open up our eyes to see those in our own midst, in our own circles, that they might come and join us and see the work that God is doing in midst of all the, the, the difficulty and the rubble. God was working in the midst of it all, and he has continued to build up our hopes in him and what he's going to be doing uh, in his church. God has been working in it all. And the same is true for you in your life. Where have you been? What's in your past? Where in your history have you experienced difficulty or destruction? See, oftentimes we try to forget the past. Just, just leave it behind and forge ahead. 
we kind of want to edit our histories, right? Those mistakes that we've made, the, the situations that we've, we've caused that, that are dark and difficult. We want to pretend those moments of devastation never happened. Look at the Jews in our gospel reading today. They couldn't own up to their history. Jesus was there to offer them freedom, real freedom from the sin that they were enslaved in, but they didn't want to own up. They were so convinced that they didn't need saving, that they didn't need Jesus, that, that they'd claim they'd never been enslaved to anyone. But these guys are the descendants of the exiles that we're reading about, these slaves in Babylon. These guys are delusional. They don't want to own up to their history. But God offers you and me a different way. You see, God is not just about forgetting. God is about transforming us, rebuilding us from the rubble. He's about reversing the things that have happened in our lives. What is it in your past that's, that's taken you hostage with guilt or shame? What is it in your history that you're, you're afraid to, to own up to, to make amends with? Whatever it is, I tell you today, you are forgiven. You are freed from whatever it is that's holding you. It can't hold you back because there are things in life that happen that are so profound that we measure time by them. There are things in life that happen that, that change things from being one way to being fundamentally different. And Jesus' death and resurrection for you has fundamentally changed you. you know, once you were lost, but now you are found. You are forgiven once you were dead in your sins, but Jesus has made you alive by his death and resurrection. You are alive in Christ. That is your present reality because of his past for you, because of all that he accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb. You can't really know where you're going until you know where he has been for you. We're going to keep looking at what God is doing in our lives, in our church, and also with the exiles as we move forward. We're going to keep tracking with Zerubbabel and the exiles as we work our way through Ezra and Nehemiah. Our homework for you this week is to keep reading. If you made it through the list of names, awesome. If you didn't, you can just skip over them. That's fine. Or you can read them. It's okay. It's a li this is like your family returning from war. So read it that way. It's, it's exciting. But chapters 3 through 6, that's what we have next. Ezra 3 through 6. We'll look to see what God does for them as he works through our own rubble. Uh, but in the meantime, know your history. 
Know your past and know the one who has been working in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.